Welcome to The Inner Game. I'm Gwen Garcelon, your host. Thanks for listening. The Inner Game is about how we nurture and attend to our mind, body, spirit, health, and how that allows us to play a bigger game and make a bigger contribution in the area of purpose that calls to us. And these are conversations with people who are committed to making an evolutionary difference with their lives from a place of balance and love and service. Today, I'm speaking with Anne White, who is the executive director of Lead with Love, a local nonprofit whose mission is to shift culture from fear to love. She has also been the head of school of the Waldorf School on the Roaring Fork and currently on the board of the True Nature Healing Arts Foundation. Thank you so much for being here, Anne. I feel so blessed to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you have just produced a phenomenal nine-minute film called The Neuroscience of Spirituality. And I would love for people to hear how that came about. How, what was the why and the journey of that? Great. So we recent actually when I first came to the Roaring Fork Valley and took a position at the Waldorf School in the Roaring Fork, um, we worked with someone who was this remarkable um, a, a guy who brought in restorative practices and restorative dialogue uh, to the community. And he handed me a book called The Spiritual Child. Uh, that was probably back in 2013, and it was written by a woman uh, by the name of Dr. Lisa Miller, who is head of Teachers College of Columbia University. And she has founded the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, which is the only Ivy League um, Spirituality Mind-Body Institute in the world. Um, it's, just, it's great to hear that schools and um, higher institutions are starting to have this conversation Truly. as well. Truly. Truly. <laughs> so um, The Spiritual Child was remarkable, and it really, what was important for me is recognizing they talked about the developmental purpose with the spiritual core and without the spiritual core and the difference that it made in those children. And for me, I thought, okay, at the time, that's that's really the core of uh, or the under pinnings of a Waldorf education. So it was really helpful. Here we are, fast forward nine, 10 years later. And um, I took the position with Lead with Love. And one of our contributors, a woman by the name of Kelly Hallman, who runs the Living Peace Foundation, said, I just I've been working with Dr. Miller out of Columbia, who just published a book called The Awakened Brain. And she said, it's on the neuroscience of spirituality. And I thought, oh, I love Dr. Miller, and I can't wait to read the book, which I did. Um, and it totally lit me up. The message was remarkable. And so we, we contacted Dr. Miller and said, can we make a film? And she said, absolutely. So that's how it came to be. And so what's really meaningful to you about this? I mean, what really grabs you? Like, what was like, oh, got to tell this story. Well, what's interesting is those of us who have have, have chosen a, a live spiritual life, um, knowing it's something innate within us, certainly, A, having a level of um, confirmation to know that indeed it is legitimate, it is something that makes a difference in our lives, and it is important to our well-being and our functioning. Uh, that was one piece that was really important to me. Um, often people say, well, of course, now the science is sort of catching up with what we already knew. That's true. And it also is really helpful for us to continue to evolve, as you said in the beginning, the purpose of sh your show, um, to integrate, you know, um, 
the materialistic world and, and our spiritual world and, and our understanding of it as human beings within it. Mm. Yeah, that was really profound to me to know that that's part of our wiring, that we all have the innate capacity for spiritual connection. And not only innate capacity, but it does provide um, significant when you have a lived spiritual life, which as it says in the film, is not a life hack, but a deep reorientation to how we see and experience life, that it actually has significant uh, benefits, protective benefits to our well-being, to our mental health. And that we're not whole without it. Exactly. That's, the, that's one of those keys that really jumped out at me. It's like, if we're trying to navigate ourselves as a human culture through this arguably uh, most challenging moment on the planet, then we need our whole capacity engaged and we're leaving our spiritual selves and our spiritual guidance and support and resilience and all of that so out of the picture so often. Absolutely. And and understandably, I mean, I think that we have, I think, it, you know, we're, we evolve like everything else on the planet. And certainly as part of our drive, we, has, we have evolved as individual beings. And it, and it makes sense. Um, we see what happens often in cultures when, you know, in the past people have been controlled or, um, you know, it's been, there have been complications in being part of a collective. So I think part of our natural evolution is to find that individuality. But now is the time where we get to reintegrate our unique autonomous spiritual connection alongside, you know, that connection to that unified field of consciousness, that of which we are all a part of, not just human beings beings, but all living beings. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. I think, you know, we see a lot of the complications because we're being pushed. It's sort of like we've hit a glass ceiling and it is time to tap in to, to be able to operate at our full capacity in order to go through not only from, you know, the resilience standpoint, but also the wisdom yeah. and the ability to change. The generative piece. The generative piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, one of my favorite lines that grabbed me when I watched this, and I have several times, she says, suffering is an invitation to deepen our spiritual life. And I felt like, is there an opportunity right now to see the collapse that we see in process on so many levels in society and ecologically? Is that collapse less, can it be less about doom and more about the possibility of an evolutionary upgrade for the entire planet? I would say hallelujah, yes. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I hope, you know, ev I think all of us who maintain hopefulness and awe and reverence and all of those things, all of us who, um, who choose to to connect and, and see the bigger picture um, in life, I do think that this is what the opportunity is ahead of us. I think that, um, you know, sp spirituality, again, not only does it, the way that it works, essentially, is that it, it builds parts, the three parts of the brain. 
So it builds the area of perception and reflection and orientation. Mm-hmm. And the reason those are important and and why we are so challenged and we, we find ourselves um, so fragile in our current predicament is when you have the capacity to have an open, more flexible, um, more resilient mindset around perception, how you see the world, reflection, how you take information in, the challenges, your everyday life. What you make it mean. What you make it mean. Um, And orientation, again, how you see yourself in context of the world. If there is room to say, what is life showing me now? And how is it that something of a larger intelligence, a larger purpose of which we are a part of might be changing things or moving things? And then we as individuals grow the strength in our in our brains and our cortical thickness yeah. um, in our capacity to meet adversity. So yes, the quote around um, you know, depression or anxiety or all those things as as a call or an opportunity yeah. for spiritual deepening yeah. is indeed the truth. And then she follows it up by saying, you just have to say yes to it. Right. Yeah. And and I feel like we're finally maybe sort of getting to that point where as more of a culture, we're starting to say yes to that. Although when we look around, it can look a little scary because we get religion mixed up with spirituality. Absolutely. Which is a, a, just a different bag of beans. <laughs> Often what I hear Lisa talk about, she has she talks a lot about the difference between religion and spirituality. She says you can be religious with or without being spiritual, and you can be spiritual with or without being religious. Right. And what's important and how she differentiates is she often says, you know, natural spirituality is often embedded in religion, but what happens is religion is cultural and spirituality is innate. So it really is something, what I love about this research, like she says, is there's one spiritual brain. Right. There's one, you know, whether you're Jewish or Muslim or you identify with connecting through nature, um, whatever it is, you're still tapping into the same neurocorrelates. Right. And they're all good. Yes. And they all have that same beneficial effect on us. They do. Yeah. One thing I was I loved seeing is is the focus on nature as a portal to our spiritual experience, which I you know, we know living in a place like this, almost everybody says, "Oh, the you know, the mountains are my temple or you know, nature is where I feel, you know, my spirit soar." And there are reasons for that. There are, again, scientific frequencies that we've been able to measure, like the Schumann resonance. That's this low frequency that we feel. And that, Lisa says in the film, nature entrains us to that frequency as we walk through it. That's why we feel that opening. And it can be such a powerful, neutral way that we get to feel and build those spiritual benefits over time. And I, I wonder if there's more you wanted to say about that. Well, I would. I just read a really incredible article um, about the fourth largest, quote, religion is the non-religious believers. And um, I think that's so 
I personally feel that's very exciting. I think there's a lot of wisdom um, in tradition, in in religions, um, through traditions, and there's a lot of depth that's cultivated and developed. But like you said, I think I would say that because what we're saying is we are a part of this unified field of consciousness, this sacred loving consciousness, that being in nature in some ways is almost like stripping down. It's almost like coming you know, into, a, as you called it, a resonance with that frequency of our natural, um, our natural spiritual awareness. Yeah. Um, and I can say personally, that's one of the reasons I left Washington, D.C. and moved yeah. to the mountains. Um, I spend as much time out in nature as possible. And I think it's there that you each, you know, each of us has an innate desire to and, and awareness to, to see ourselves connected. Yeah. Um, to the world in that way. Yeah. And and what a joy that is to it be connected. Is. It's such a relief. It's so and nice it's, to know you're not alone as this separate entity just randomly walking the earth. <laughs> I feel like it's the greatest source of security ever. You know, we we're, we're so in these uncertain times, we're all looking for those places of security, and we've been sold a bill of goods that's not making us feel secure, you know, the stuff and the house and the whatever it is. And I think we're starting to realize there's a there's this deeper source of security where we're never separate. We're never separate from it. We're never separate from anything. There's no place to fall away to. We're always plugged in. Exactly. And I'm and I'm excited to have this this new information to take into a retreat that I'm uh, hosting in September. And after seeing this film, I realized so many of the pieces that I've been working with for so long are artic- articulated so beautifully. And there's so much available when we put ourselves into that frequency of nature. And I'm excited to see what continues to be possible for people when they give themselves that concerted time, because I think there's so much in us just waiting to burst forth. I agree with and you. Serve. And I would, I would also add to that, that one of the places I feel we hunger for is, is in finding a collective unifying nature. Often you see it, you know, culturally, you see these um, these pods of culture where people are cooperative and collaborative and they have their sense of who they are within the context of such. But in, in a world that is, you know, we've crossed bloodlines, we've, you know, crossed cultures, we live in this democracy, in this place where we are seeking, you know, the capacity, I think underneath it is actually the spiritual impulse of innate dignity, innate human dignity, innate dignity of life. And I think that you're right. And I've seen your work over the years when it comes to regenerative agriculture and connection to nature and the way that you bring people in 
both to, to feel that sense of unity, that natural, innate sense of unity through nature, and then secondarily, how that impacts when somebody taps into that space, the kind of downloads, the kind of intuitions, the kind of inspirations that come as a result are very different than if we are just living in, as Lisa refers to it, as our achieving yeah. awareness, our individual selves. Yeah. And so you've done that beautifully, and I am I'm certain everybody who gets to participate in your retreats really it gets to benefit from your years of practice and experience in that realm. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. Well, for those just joining, this is Gwen Garcelon, and you're listening to The Inner Game on KDNK. I'm talking with Anne White, Executive Director of Lead with Love, about the new short film she produced, The Neuroscience of Spirituality, and really the, the implications of that for all of us at this pivotal time on the planet. You mentioned earlier that department at an Ivy League school that, you know, is so uh, pioneering. And it made me think how we've spoken before about the stigmatization of spirituality and how it's somehow gotten relegated to this soft place or this new agey place or, and it, it mm-hmm. is keeping it from giving its gifts to us at mm-hmm. this really critical time. Right. And I wonder if you can share how you may see that shifting maybe some other places other than the one you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And I, I certainly, I want to acknowledge that I do think that there have been places like what I, okay, I will say what I really like about the film is it, it almost it almost it keeps things from getting too extreme in any one direction. Um, and, and it's beneficial to say, you know, nobody has the right answers, but everybody contributes to the whole. It's like a variety of ecosystems. If you go to different continents and different locations or swamplands versus mountains, it's just different expressions of the spiritual experience of that awakened awareness. Um, and, and one of the things that I, I want to acknowledge um, about the softness, I mean, I can say as somebody who grew up in Washington, D.C., and sort of had an expectation of a very traditional path, um, and my family thought I was crazy when I said, you know, I'm going to put a backpack on and figure out, you know, that which connects us, mm-hmm. um, travel the world and study different religions and, and spiritual traditions and see if I could find those commonalities, because our generation is, you know, I think really coming to that place where you see the confluence of so many different traditions. And you see the exploration of, like you're saying, new age spirituality and all these different kind of practices. Um, I I think the most important thing, no matter what and whatever your on-ramp is to connecting to that spiritual awareness, is the integration of the experience itself. And I'm not I'm going to go back and kind of talk to you about the softness still. Um, But, you know, some people do it through meditation. Some people actually are into psychedelics. Some people are into um, yoga and different retreats. And and again, whatever the practice, it's not there's no judgment on the practice. It's just how does it impact you as a person and your life and how does it play out in the way that you then move forward and conduct your life? Yeah. Um, and so I think what's beautiful is now it's coming like Harvard Business Harvard Business School has a whole chapter on the spiritual lives of leaders. How does their spirituality, their tradition impact the way that they are, they lead? Or Yale University has a remarkable program called World Religions and Ecology where they're working with every major world 
religion and asking them to say, please be very clear in specifying the sacredness of all life, not just human life. And so there's a big collaborative and movement coming through that. Um, there are the Templeton Foundation has a number of studies on on sort of atheism and is it really atheism because often what people are saying is what they don't believe in versus what they do right and so there's a whole exploration of saying if spirituality is in any capacity and something each of us is born to tap into it's just that culturally we have not we haven't acknowledged it and we haven't fostered it and supported it you know we try to we tend to cut it off in our children very young. Yeah. Um, and then as adults, we try to rebuild it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to find that bridge to reintegrate it in our lives, especially when we find our lives feeling empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what's beautiful about the movement is everyone says, it's time for us to start to try to find solutions from a third way, a new way, one that isn't yeah. Um, about fighting each other in ideas, opinions, who's right and who's wrong, but actually making space in in everyone's interactions for something new to come in that third way. Um, and how is it that we can put everything sort of into the center of the space and work way more collaboratively to know that everybody has a part of the answer um, and that we can do it through healthy dialogue, through conversation, through through really not, you know, saying, I wonder, and what is life showing me now, as opposed to, I have the answers, which is the way we've been taught, Mm. you know, through school. Do you have the right answer? Yes or no? Right. You know, you fail or pass or fail your test. No gray area. Exactly. (laughs) And this allows for the emergent, interdependent, interconnected field to come through. Yeah. I've... um, over the last few years, uh, reclaimed prayer in my life, mm. and and I and what it looks like is um, w- usually when I'm out in nature, um, I feel the like uh, like I'm blessing the world. It feels so goofy to say this sometimes, Mm-mm. but you know when I'm in that flow state that. I think people often experience in nature. It feels like that state alone is seeding the unified field with more of that beauty and love and openness and upliftment. And that feels like prayer. And I wonder, you know, if you have, you know, what your experiences of prayer are Mm. like. If you have that as a practice. Absolutely. And I've actually had it as a practice since I was very young. Um, I noticed that when my life gets a little bit out of control when I don't have prayer in my life. And there are times where I forget to use it, um, to utilize it, to be a part of it. Um, and I think that what's beautiful about prayer is it it sets your intention, your individual attention, intention to really to offer to, to, to sort of offer up your will forces to that emergent unified field so that whatever comes through, you have more openness to receive and navigate your way through and kind of take the plate, you know, pick up the pieces that are that are beneficial, that are good, that are inspirational, helpful. Um, and, it, and it allows a space of self-compassion and forgiveness too. Mm, yeah. 
Um, I mean, I've spent much of my life banging my head against a wall and, you know, having a really strong sense of self and ego. And, and it's like, as I get older, the more I realize what a gift it is to soften in those areas and utilize prayer. And soften for me more and more just feels like being more porous, more aware of that inherent connection. Absolutely. And the incredible amount of generativity and creativity that comes through that space. It grows us in ways that you can't even fathom, which is so interesting. My favorite children's book, and I'll make this short, my favorite children's book is called Grasper the Crab. And essentially, it's about crabs that molt. And this, these one, these crabs at the base, at the bottom of the ocean actually don't, every time they molt, they don't grow. They just wait for their shell to harden again. But one day, one of the crabs runs into a large crab way out in the world, and he says, you're so big. And he says, well, Grasper, you will be too as soon as you've molted as many times as I have. And Grasper says, but where I come from, they molt all the time and don't grow. And he said, well, you have to have a big heart to grow to, to live in a big world. And the more that you open your heart in those times of growth, the more you will grow alongside of it physically. And so when you talk about being porous, I see it as our a way to really expand and connect with other beings, other people, the planet, um, animals, and that in and of itself essentially does grow us and it grows our heart alongside of that. Amen, sister. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for listening today, everyone. If you have a question for Anne or me, you can join the Facebook page at The Inner Game. And you can also find out about the upcoming retreat in September. And I would Inner Game Retreat. I would quickly add that the film is on Lead with Love's website and also Lead with Love's YouTube page if people would like to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Go check that out. And yeah, until next time, go check out the film. Please do. Storms are raging, atoms whirl.